Good morning, everybody. Good morning, Vietnam. I could say good morning or whatever I want. You guys can hear me, right? Can you hear me? Yes. <laughs> all right. Well, I thank you all. Great energy this morning. It's good to see a nice full house in the Lord. We are, we're going to go out big today. today. Today might be my last day for a while, but I tell you what, it's the culmination of over a year's worth of ministry today. And for the, oh, go echoey on me. For those of you who know, I am, I am someone who's driven by salvation. If there's something that keeps me up at night, it's thinking about the lost. And salvation and baptism have always been a battle, but always been a battle with such an incredible reward. This morning, there's an entire family that has a, an opportunity to share with you guys. And I just want to let you know that just this week alone, the, the loss of sleep and the anxiety and all the different excitement about what this family's been through, uh, I can assure you, for those of you who made the effort to come this morning, you will be blessed beyond belief. Additionally, um, Wednesday night at a men's prayer group on the side, another individual was called by the Lord in response to baptism. And so we had a wonderful pancake house experience. <laughs> because if you're going to have an experience, you should have it over pancakes or waffles. I think John had waffles, but uh, you should have an experience over a nice big breakfast. And what the Lord allowed me to partake in with this individual who's been part of this church for a long, long time. But something happened a couple months ago, and the Lord flipped the switch. And this individual's testimony is not only powerful and exciting, but it's just a reminder that these, these last few years, these last few months of ministry, um, everything comes with a cost, right? I mean, we want life to be valuable. We want life to be significant. But a lot of times we want life to be easy. We want life to just be a little bit more manageable, a little bit more in control. But then, you know, like this week, I am, I'm someone who works for the city of Costa Mesa. As you guys know, I'm a chaplain. Uh, my wife works for the city of Newport Beach. Um, I'm all about the city. I'm all about supporting the city. And yet this week I was blessed with my second violation for construction from the city. And yet we have done no construction for like eight months as we wait for the city to finish our permits. And the last bill that we got from the contractor was an additional $8,000 addendum because the cost of materials and labor has gone up since we've begun it. And I'm like, you know what, Lord, these seem like interesting attacks. Then I noticed that the violation was addressed to my house. Yes, I'm like, that's an interesting thing that I'm, I'm just the senior pastor at the church and now I'm getting personal violations to my address? Uh, that seems interesting. And then I realized from my office every week, I, I see the city driving by, driving by. And I'm like, is that oppression? Is it, what is going on, Lord? What is the, what is the attack that's going on here? If I, did, did I do something wrong? Because if I've done something wrong, I'm all about, let's acknowledge it and whatever. And then I realized something. You know, in this life, right, when we walk to the cross and we, we receive this good work of the Lord, in this life, when we receive that good work, we instantly change sides, right? We went from the side of the world who's all about if it feels right, if it's, if it's truth to you, it's relative to you, then whatever you think and whatever we think, that's what truth is, till we went to a side to where no, that's no longer available. Red pill, blue pill, right? The, the, the non-reality side is no longer available. There's just reality. And in this life, it's really, really difficult. And in this life, it's not fair at all, right? I mean, I drive around the city, I'm a chaplain, 
and, and I see one call after another call after another call, mental health, mental health, mental health. And one day, uh, less than a few weeks ago, we not only arrested, but we went on the same call for the same individual three times in six hours. Now, for the officers, that different calls, different officers, but I could see the calls on the chart. I could see the calls on the... And I, we, we know this gentleman. The individual is literally famous for 18 years worth of terror in our town. At some point when we finally did arrest him, when the call was significant enough that we could arrest, because, by the way, they've handcuffed the police department and made arrest almost impossible, at the end of the day, at 6 o'clock, we had to release him. And the following morning, it started all over again. Now, when someone's dealing with oppression and possession, which we're going to talk a little bit about this morning, there's a big difference. You see, if I'm oppressed, I'm a believer. Believers cannot be possessed, right? A believer cannot have, but a, but a believer can be oppressed. But on the other side, if you're not a believer and you're possessed, then the kind of mayhem an individual can actually cause in our town is terrifying. And you'll be driving down the street and minding your own business, and maybe you as a believer has had this experience where you'll see someone turn to you. Now, for me, it happens quite a bit, but they're literally walking down the street, minding their own business, and as I drive down the street, they catch eye contact with me and go into these little rages, these little rants. And I feel the oppression and possession in my car. And I think, who am I? Who am I that they would want to look and attack me? Who am I? It's the tinted windows, but I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And he who is in me is greater than he who is in the world, and they know that. And you, today, I want you to realize something. We just finished the book of Acts. Thank you for letting us. 28 chapters, phenomenal book, the history of the church. I'm sure you've heard Peter and Paul a lot. I, like I said, I should have thrown in Mary, and you thought we had talked about the band a lot. But it's, it's been Peter and Paul and Peter and Paul. Not going to do that today. I'm going to break right and, and jump into one small passage that I think is powerful, and it speaks truth to you, and it speaks truth that you need to hear today, because we are under attack. And when you hear the testimonies today, whether it's alcoholism or actual spiritual oppression, we are under attack, and it's legit, and it's real, and you need to know the difference. Then you need to know how we deal with it. The passage is an incredible passage it's found in Mark 9, 14. The coinciding passage are found in the synoptic verses in Matthew 17. Now, the idea here is when you go up the mountain and have the mountaintop experience, something's always happening. And in this passage, it's the literal mountaintop experience of experiences. It's Jesus' transfiguration. Jesus is up there having this incredible moment, this incredible opportunity to show not only who he is and what he's all about, but affirm the Old Testament, that he's brought with him the saints from the Old Testament with him, and he's up on the mountain having this incredible opportunity to show himself. And yet while he's up on the mountain, down below, people have gathered, and the rest of his disciples have gathered, and an event's going to take place which rocks the entire gathering. It's an event that's taken place time and time again throughout the Bible. You see, throughout the Bible, when people were oppressed or possessed, one of the things they knew was, come find Jesus and his followers. That there was a power within that group of people to do something about that that was not found anywhere else. And so that's what this man had done. The story talks about this individual bringing his son to him. 
So as Jesus comes down from the mountain, as we always kind of experience, right? You go to camp, you have some amazing experience where you're kind of coming down from the mountain with God, and you're thinking, nothing's going to attack me. Nothing's going to take me out of my game, right? And then, boom, the oppression's waiting for you. It's a crisis of faith. And what he's found out is his disciples were not able to remove a demonic possessed boy's demon. And it shaked his entire group to the core. The title of this message is Help My Unbelief. I also think it fits crisis of faith. And for those of you who have heard the passage about the man who cried out, Help My Unbelief. I pray that this morning that that reminds you, if you came here this morning, if you're struggling with oppression or possession, if you're struggling with a crisis of faith, then even though it's a small message this morning, it's for you. It's for you to remind you that we're all under attack and we're all under a crisis of faith. And if you don't realize how important one believer is and how much you actually hold up by standing in the gap, then I pray this morning, as this one man was, who brought him to my son and said, what must I do? Help my unbelief. Then this message is for you. Let me pray. Father God, this morning I come to you, and I simply ask that you move in a way that makes perfect sense to you. Whether we've been walking with Christ for years and we have a good figure, take on it, or we're walking with Christ for the first days in our lives. It's new to us. Maybe we actually made it to this place today, and we want to walk with Christ, and we know that Christ has been knocking at the door, but we have continually said no. Then today, Father, as you meet each individual, where they are and as they sit, I hope they would understand one thing, that it is well in my soul as long as Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior of my life. Father, may you show yourself mightily this morning. May you help us like the apostles, Father, in our unbelief and come to a realization that it is only well because you are there and we can overcome all things through Christ who strengthens us. Be with this message this morning. We ask in your son's precious and holy name. Amen. So who has to deal with oppression? Is it unique to a particular group? If you look to the Bible, you'll see it was all over the place. King Saul had to deal with possession What about legion, a single individual who lived amongst the tombs? Legion, it said, was not only in possession of a demon, but of multiple. Thus his name, legion. By the way, if you ever do work with someone who has possession issues, the Bible makes it very clear. If one is in and one is removed, if the Lord does not inhabit that space, seven will return. For those of you dealing with that, consider yourself blessed for those of us who recently had to deal with some of that. One is a lot. One can be overwhelming, but two, three, and four speaking lies into someone's life can be almost mind-breaking. We've been there. We've knocked on that door, but we read back in Acts. We read it in Acts 10.38, if you guys can remember this passage, a simple passage that we kind of moved through, but this week it spoke to me. It said this, And you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, right? Power in the Bible is always dudamas, the Greek word for dynamite, dynamic power. And then Jesus went around. What did he do? He did good, and he healed all those who were oppressed by the devil, for the Lord was in him. Like I said, as I drive around town and get a chance to see, I would say 75 to 85% of the calls that we're involved with all day long, every day, or a continuum of some kind of mental health issue, okay? 
When you're talking about people being mentally oppressed or mentally possessed, it continually causes chaos and pandemonium lies. Because think about what the devil has to look forward to. Nothing, right? So what can he do? He can lie, he can cheat, and he can steal, and he can rob from those who willingly give away their ability to make decisions and choices. You see, possession does not just happen. A spirit has no ability to come and take you over. You have to invite them in. There has to be an open invite from you. And so you play a role in how it works. So if I can strengthen your regard, let's just clarify again. A Christian person walking with the Lord cannot be possessed. You cannot be possessed because you are already the possession of someone else. Just like the ring is symbolic, we talked about this in baptism class, the ring is symbolic of a relationship, so too is your relationship with Jesus Christ. As your Lord and Savior, His Spirit now inhibits, is inside of your body. That Spirit is greater than all other spirits that live in the world today. And such being the case, they cannot then come in and possess you. But that does not mean that you will not suffer from oppression that that spirit that's in you will not draw out some type of battle. I love this in the Bible because as I think about all the people, like I said, a king was issues, legion had issues, a young man had issues, a young slave had issues. And for those of you who don't remember, one of the Marys, Mary Magdalene, had seven issues, right? Seven issues refers to that passage. One was there, was removed, she didn't make the transition, and seven returned. When Jesus clarified that again, she was once again healed of all that. So you can't be possessed, but you can be oppressed. And sometimes I like to think what the world has to say about something is useful. This is what Marion Webster said about oppression. Spiritual oppression is to crush or burden by the abuse of power or authority especially related to spiritual issues, it will cause, heavy, cause something to be weighed heavily upon you. And then I made note of that. That is by far and away the most powerful and most successful way to crush a Christian's testimony. Right? How are you going to show the world the light of Christ if you are suffering under some kind of oppression? And you say, well, how bad can it be? Well, think about all the things that are available to oppress you. Right? alcoholism has been oppressing people for years and years and years. That's why the Bible says, be ye not drunk with wine, right? Some people like to be like myself. I'm a teetotaler. I'm a zero, 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 and a zero. Why? Because I come from a long legacy line of alcoholics, professional alcoholics. My mom's brother I had to open the casket to say goodbye to my Uncle Gus because I no longer recognized who he was because he spent the last 18 years of his life institutionalized for abusive alcoholism. My dad's brother, Uncle Bill, crashed uh, Christmas Eve, New Year's Eve, drunk, killing himself and causing tremendous legacy of pain throughout his family. My older brother, Mike, you guys all know his story, graduated Dallas Theological Seminary, active pastor for over three years in the Mammoth area, only to trash his entire life, walk away from his faith, and end up in a Texas institution jail and having his roommate stabbed to death multiple times next to him for preaching the word of God in jail. Today he lives institutionalized with very few teeth, looks about 107 years old, and he's six years older than me, preaching the word of God every single day to those very same people now. He's paid a serious price for his choice to drink. 
And of course, my middle brother, which you all know recently because of our golf endeavors, is a 30-year veteran with a chip who goes and spends his life teaching other people how to be successful using either a higher power or Jesus as an encouragement. So with my long legacy of alcoholism in front of me, I say no. And I understand it's only one of many of the ways that can oppress people. Depression, broken relationships, pornography, physical intimacy. You pick and choose. There's many different ways. And the devil knows all of them. And if he can figure out a way to take something that God has made and pervert it and then use it against you to block your testimony, he will. Why? Because he has no other means of success. Everything the devil has is temporal. One day it will all be reconciled. One day it will all be made known to you. And because of that, today I want you to realize something. Today could be the day to free you from your oppression if you're simply willing to, to do like this man was and make a profession of faith to the Lord. Help me with my unbelief. In the coinciding passage found in Matthew, another interesting component of a message that's readily used will come available to you today. It's the concept of the faith of a mustard seed. Although the mustard seed is the tiniest of seeds available in the garden, its seed, when it does germinate, can, can create this incredibly full, robust plant. And it's a reminder to us that although we may feel sometimes our faith is so minuscule and so minute and we question God, why am I such a struggle if that faith remains pure? Just as pure as a mustard seed, you still have all you need in Christ to overcome the oppression. So let's read the passage. Let's tear it apart. It's uh, only like 15, 20 verses, and uh, you're going to be surprised at how fast I go today. So although you like fast talking, here we go. We will be done in four to five hours at this speed. It's going to be great. God, will you help me with my unbelief? Coming off the Mount of Transfiguration, and when they came back to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them. And some scribes were arguing with them. Immediately, the entire crowd saw them, and they were amazed and began running up to greet him. Okay? Literally coming off the mountain. How much time do you get to celebrate your victories in Christ? Sometimes zero, right? You're like, I need this moment. I just had this mountaintop experience where the Lord showed himself to be real. And as soon as you get off that mountaintop experience, you have that day at work that you've been waiting for. And as soon as you walk in the door, the stove is broke, the food's not ready, your kids are late for something, and your husband's looking at you like, where have you been? Right? And the mountaintop experience goes away, and you've got to go strictly into this fight-or-flight mode. And Jesus been there before, he simply settles down and he sees what's happening. Why are the scribes arguing? The scribes are arguing because an event has taken place that has rocked their world, right? When has Jesus' disciples not been able to overcome evil in this particular moment? Now what they're trying to determine is whose fault it is. See, there was this kind of Old Testament thinking that anytime something bad happened, it was somebody's fault, there was always this correlation of generational sin. So if, if something happened, you were born and you had some kind of affection or some kind of situation, whose fault was it? And once again, Jesus is simply amazed by the inability for people to truly understand how things work. Let's continue to read. So he asked them, what are you disputing about with them? Who's the them? The scribes? What are you disputing about with them? And now one person from the crowd answers, teacher, 
I brought you my son. So we, we've identified who the speaker is. It's the man. It's the father of the son. Because he has a spirit that makes him unable to speak. And whenever it seizes him, okay, this kind of seizure is not traditional uh, seizure, like a, a sickness of a seizure. It's a different. The, the Greek word delineates. It's a different type of seizure. It slams him into the ground. He foams at the mouth, and he grinds his teeth and becomes stiff. So it's a delineation from a traditional type of seizure to some type of oppression, possession. And I told the guys, I told your disciples, and I asked them that they would cast it out, but they could not do it. Now, I don't know about you, but if you're involved in a situation where someone brings you somebody, brings you something like that, and you're not able to do it, then this incredible faith that you have had for a period of time is going to, it's going to, you're going to feel a little bit like iffy about it, right? You're going to feel like something's wrong with us or with this situation. In this world that you're living in right now, maybe you have underestimated the power of your faith. And by doing that, you've eliminated your ability to share your testimony, share your ministry with other people. And I want you to realize something, that for this one man, regardless of what's happened in his life, for this one man, this one incident, this one period of time, 10 minutes, an hour, whatever, this one thing is going to change the direction of everything for eternity. How important is it that you stay in the game when oppression or possession comes your way and you feel that fight or flight thing? Like, this is overwhelming. I'm not trained for this. Like, the pastor and the elders, this is their job. But I'm not there. And the elders aren't there. And if you're there and it comes knocking at your door, you know what? You have a responsibility to hold fast and stand in the gap. Because this moment's going to change this man and then this man's son, and then the dominoes will fall, right? Because we know the principle of the sower and the seed. The principle of the sower and the seed is 60, 90, 120, right? Your life will never affect your life. That's myopic. That's a narrow view of how you see things. It's, it's, it means I, I, my life has changed, and that's all that matters. No, take the blinders off. Your life change means everyone in your oikos, everyone in your world will be affected by your decision. And this is rocking the apostles' decision. Jesus is up there having this incredible moment. Moses and Elijah, they're confirming that the Old Testament prophets are not dead. They're not in some kind of a spiritual slumber. They're alive. He's the God of the living. That's what he said. I'm not the God of the dead. I have overcome everything. And I've come back down here and you've got one demon-possessed kid and you guys are falling apart on me? So what does he do? Verse 19, he answered them. I, lo I love facts about the Bible when you, when you sense the real Jesus speaking, right? Listen to what real Jesus says to the guys that he loves and the group of people that call themselves believers. He said to them, oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Do you I mean, do you feel the disappointment? Like, seriously, guys, have you not seen the last two years worth of ministry? How many people have we healed? Didn't someone fall out of the door or the window and die? Peter, didn't you heal him? Well, guys, what is going on here? This is a, just another day in our life, another possessed person. We know what we need to do. What is going on? Bring him to me. And they brought him to him. And when he saw 
him, the spirit, immediately threw him into convulsions and falling to the ground, he began rolling around and foaming at the mouth. You see, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And that spirit knows at the moment you make eye contact, I said, why is it when I'm driving down the road, minding my own business, and I see someone walking down the street and my, my mind says, turn and pray. And I turn and pray and then they turn to me and I know what they're saying. You can sense and you can read and it's vile because they know what's in you and you forget sometimes what's in you. And that's why you feel so inadequate because you think you're going up against the entity. You're going up the situation, but you're never going up against anything if you're in Christ. I love this passage, so let's clarify. Where two or more are gathered, right? He is present. But when are you ever by yourself? Because a lot of times we feel like, I need someone, right? I need my Aaron, I need my her, I need my Aaron, I need my her, I need someone to hold me up. But when are you as a believer in Christ ever by yourself? So you are two by default wherever you go. You and the power and the spirit of God, living, breathing, and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to divide bone and marrow, you are two wherever you go. You are the dudamas of the spirit of God. And how different is the spirit today, Justin, how different is the spirit today than it was 2,000 years ago? None. It is the same wall-breaking Jericho spirit available to you as it is available to me as it was 2,000 years ago. And that's what he's holding fast to. He's like, bring him to me. And he sees me at a distance, and he goes right into his motion. What is his motion? He's trying to kill this small child. Why? Why kill? What, what, what has a small child done to you? Nothing. That's his job. Lying, cheating, stealing, deceit, and death. That's all he can do. Those are his specialties. If your oppression leads you to any one of those outcomes, it will tell you who's leading you there and how you should fight. Trying to kill the boy, the, the father asked in 21, he says to him, how long has this been happening to him? And the father says, from childhood. I know you guys got problems. I know I got problems. This was not my favorite week, right? I got two, dia two dialysis left. The nurse that's been taking care of me the whole time has already told me she quit. She gave her notice. And she said that she's leaving as soon as I leave, that her sole purpose for being at that particular clinic was me. And she has taken care of me. God bless her. She's awesome. Filipino girl named Syrah. Whenever the new nurses come towards me, the machine starts going off because my BP goes physically. I was 197 this week as I won't say the new nurse walked towards me. I just have this impending doom concept that they don't know what they're doing. When you're new and you're a nurse, God bless every single nurse, my daughter and all of you nurses, but when you're new and you're a nurse, there's the, it's like you're on nonstop, right? And for those of us in dialysis, we know what it could feel like because we've done it enough times and we know what it shouldn't feel like. But when they walk at you, the new ones, and they're un the needles are massive. It's a 15. For those of you who want to go look up a needle, it's a honking needle. It's like a turkey basting needle, right? When they walk at you, and that, there's that intrepidation, right? There's that, they're coming at you, and you're like, okay, here we go. One of the tells for them is they count. No one else counts that's been there a while. But the new nurse will count. And I'm like, what? Three, 
two, no, time out. This is not, oh, hooray, happy birthday. I don't, we're not celebrating. I don't want to know. You're, you're, you're causing greater anticipation in me. My anxiety medicine is blowing up. She's like, you're 200, you're 200, calm down. I'm like, stop counting, shove the needle in, let's go. Get this thing over with, man. And I see Zyra, I see my nurse. And she's, she always has the same motion. Pray, please. And I pray for her too, because she wants out. And she wanted to be an RN. The RN test is difficult, and she took it twice and failed. And she's like, I'm never going to get out of here. I'm going to be an LVN my whole life. I'm, I'm always going to be stuck running like a hamster in this dialysis wheel, just going around and around all day long, 12 hours a day. She finally passed. She got another job. And she's been my blessing. But I tell you what, from childhood, I've been sick 17 years. I've been on dialysis two years. That's enough for me. There's people in my clinic that have been sick for years. You can tell because the longer you're sick, the more your limbs are missing. See, kidney disease is a tell to other sickness. And diabetes is usually right around the corner for the sickness. And diabetes has a way of limiting blood flow, and so extremities don't do well. And there is a large contingency of limbless people in my clinic. And every time I want to complain and every time I want to moan, I just look around. But this man has been walking this kid through that type of sickness since childhood. He's tired. He's beat. He's worn. I'm sure he has vetted every single opportunity he could to let it go. So to come to the throne of the cross to the last hope and then to see the guys who love Jesus and follow Jesus not be able to do this, I'm sure it's not just the disciples that are questioning. I'm sure it's everyone. I'm sure the whole crowd is shook. And what does Jesus say? What does it do again? It throws him often into the fire and into the water. And now it exposes the truth to kill him. This is not your average seizure. This is a seizure with intent. And the only reason it has not had success is for this very day. Because Jesus is about to reconcile once and for all to this man what's up. But listen to this man's broken and contrite heart as he pleads, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Can you imagine telling the king of kings, God's only son, if you can? Does he know who he's talking to? Is this Saul on the road to Damascus who's going to persecute Christians who then hears the voice of the very God that he's working for? And he says, Saul, Saul, why are you doing this? And then he says, who are you? He doesn't even know. This man has no idea who he's talking to, if you can. Listen to Jesus' response, if you can. I'm telling you, the humanity of Jesus is on display for every human being who wants to read and know if it's him. If you can, he says. If I can, do you not know that all things are possible? You know, you guys love to use verses contextually from different places and spaces and time and then throw them out when they make sense to you. And this is one of those verses, all things are possible for those who believe. How many times have you heard this passage used? How many times have you heard that verse used contextually? 
This is the context in which it makes sense. This is a man who's in doubt, who's been watching his child suffer from childhood, who just watched the disciples get their butt kicked publicly, and it's a situ of total crisis, and he says, if you can. And the Lord God Almighty says, if I can? Do you know who you're talking to, bro? Do you understand what I can do? Do you understand if you have just the faith of a mustard seed and it's pure, you could tell a mountain move and it would. You can do all things. All things are going to be possible if you believe. Church, why is it so hard for us to believe that? Why are we so willing to give away our freedoms? Why are we so willing to give up strength and control in Christ and just say, I'm broken and I'm not doing well, but this is what God would have me to do, so so be it. I'm going to wake up today and I'm going to give it all I can and tomorrow will take care of itself because if I start planning for tomorrow to be good, then I'm going to cheat today of the pain and the suffering that I have to offer. And that's what I'm going to lay at the feet of Jesus. Pain, suffering, discomfort, and confusion because that's what I have. Because we have this perception, right? No, man, if I'm walking with the Lord, like, I got to be upright and clean and tidy and all figured out. No one's got it figured out. These are the guys that have walked with him and talked with him and seen miracles nonstop, and they have missed the boat. How bad is the boat? It's bad. Immediately, the boy's father cried out. Not the boy, right? He's in possession. But the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe. Help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that the crowd was rapidly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute, and now a second component, deaf. You see, the father didn't understand why he couldn't hear and why he couldn't speak. But the spirit that was in him was literally holding both of those components back from him. There was nothing wrong with those. They were simply being held back. In the name of Jesus says, I command you out of him. And under that principle of returning back, it says, and do not enter into him again. After hearing this and crying out and throwing him into one final terrible convulsion, it came out of him. And the boy became much like a corpse. And they said of him, he's dead. That's it. It, it. Whatever that thing was that was in him, it won. And yeah, we got rid of it, but now here's the results. He's dead. Aren't we just like that? Like we just lose hope. We lose hope so quickly of what the Lord's trying to do. That kid had never been more alive than he was right there. Matter of fact, for real, the real truth was it's the first time that child ever was alive. That child's life had been stolen the entirety of his days. And in that moment right there, the Almighty had returned life to him. Watch how the Almighty now deals with this, right? He's dealing with the doubt of the people, the insecurities of the disciples. Watch how the Almighty now addresses the individual coming out of possession. Verse 27, Jesus took him by the hand and he raised him and he got up. When you talk about our Lord, when you talk about my Jesus, when you talk about who God is and how he wants to identify with us, you should be very cautious about making him deistic, putting him far away and leaving us alone. He is with us. He knows us. 
He cares about us. He shepherds us. And he comforts us when we can't get up. Who is it that lifts you up when you're down? The Spirit of God does. Because that's how much he loves us. He comes to us. Think about even salvation right now. Who came to who? Has his spirit been knocking on your door all this time for you to say yes? Yeah, his spirit's been knocking at the door. You wouldn't be able to say yes if it wasn't for his spirit coming to you. He came from heaven to earth to show us a different way and to show us that he cares. And when you're down and you're dead and you're lifeless, he will come down and raise you up because he is the God of the living. God, recently, these theologians and people, I, I'm the least theological person in this. I have a master's in divinity, and I love talking about stuff. I'm really grateful Pastor Rod and Pastor Bill love talking about theology. But like, people want to come and challenge me about all these different things and talk to me about all these different things and soul sleep. And then when we die, we're sleeping and all these different things. Like, but that's not what the Bible says. He's not the God of the sleeping. He never identified himself as the God of the sleeping. So it's not a conversation you're going to have with me, church. Because my God, your God, that God that died on the cross is the God of the living because that's what he said. And when Moses and Elijah show up with him, they substantiate his claim because those guys are dead. But now they're not because they're with the God of the living. To be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. And when our friends and family die, they're not lost. They're home with their family, just like we're home with our family right now. And we hold fast to that. Yesterday, there was a service in here for Debbie Baller. She's a, someone who attended the church for many years. The family was struggling to try to figure out what to do. They came to the church and said, we want to just go to where she was from and where it was home. Thankfully, Robin and some people knew her, and we were able to use the church and bless the, that situation. But Debbie's never been more home than she is right now. Any believer that goes in front of us is home. And he raised him up. But that's not the end of the story. Verse 27 ends with this. Now all of a sudden, when they came to the house, his disciples finally get a chance to ask him. And what did they ask him? Privately, they say, why couldn't we cast this thing out? And now Jesus says to them, remember, this is a private conversation of personal doubt. This kind can only come out by, by only this kind cannot come out by anything other than prayer. Other than prayer. Okay, so I was talking with Pastor Rod about this, and we're talking. So what do you think they did wrong? I think what happened was they got used to doing a certain thing, like in the name of Jesus, you know, we command you. And Rod said, like, Shazam, right? Like, you know, they're just using their magic words, and they just do their thing. And they're like, in the name of Jesus, they probably went through this whole thing, and it didn't come out. And they did it again. In the name of Jesus, right? This is hypothetical. But what does it really say if you did that without prayer? Yeah, because whose volition are you counting on when you, if you try to do something by invoking some word out of your, trust me, if you want to go up against oppression, if you want to go up someone's against possession and you try to do it by the strength of your own words, you're going to have a rough evening. Talk to anyone in here who's actually ever dealt with someone who's in actual oppression, possession. If you go into that situation with anything other than people praying you up and you praying yourself, you will have a very difficult night. Because how powerful is prayer? It's all our power, right? It's not some of your power. It's all of your power. You have no power, church. You are powerless, 
But you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you, right? When I say hold fast, when the Bible talks about hold fast, the Old Testament concept of holding fast, I'm not saying fight, go in there, I'm going to go fight for the Lord, and we're going to... I'm saying you hold fast, and then when you hold fast and you pray, the Bible says when you pray, you're actually launching the attack. In prayers, when the attack actually begins, because that side cannot fight against the Spirit of God. In the name of Jesus, come out. If they would have just said, Jesus... You know this child, right? Who are they talking to? What are they talking? And he reteaches them. Are you reteachable? I'm not really good at being, I'm not a big fan of relearning something. I tell my kids from childhood, learn to do something right the first time, and you'll save yourself a lot of time in life, right? And what happens when we as adults have to be retaught something? Because we've learned it wrong. Church, be reteachable. If the Lord needs to reteach you a concept, biblically speaking, humble yourself in the eyes of the Lord and submit to that because it will make you a more powerful believer and it will restore your testimony. Remember, your testimony is what's cannibalized when you succumb to the oppression of anxiety and fear. Those are the weeds of the Spirit. They're not the fruit of the Spirit, right? The fruit, the singularity of those seven components is all good things. The weeds are the things choking you out, you know? Shazam, in God's name. You see these TV guys and doing all this stuff. That, that's not how it works. That's not to say that God can't still heal in those situations. I, I, I pray that God would still move because there's people that believe, regardless of what people say. But all things in order. We have a God of order. He is not chaotic. There's no reason to be disruptive and chaotic in the house of the Lord because he is a God of order. Look at creation. Look at the way he's done things from the very beginning in order, in rhyme and reason, all prayed for. That's why every Sunday at 9 o'clock in the upper room, you're more than welcome to come. There's a few people that faithfully pray every Sunday before we speak. And their prayer is bring down the walls that would oppress us from speaking God's truth. Any great and wonderful thing that's ever happened in the history of the church has happened because of prayer. Hosea said, people perish for the lack of knowledge. And I don't know if the disciples didn't know or if they just forgot, but I know for you and for me, sometimes we just forget about who we are in Christ and how powerful he intends us to be. Because if you can do all things in Christ who strengthens you, then there's people in your life right now that are oppressed. There's people in your life right now that might actually be possessed. There's people in your life right now that need you to stand in the gap. And in a very few minutes, as communion kind of ends, we're going to start the first uh, testimonies, and you're going to hear verbatim accounts of people that needed people to stand in the gap. Some of those people are present with us today. And I can tell you this, every person plays a role in faith. Every single one of you, like when we have child dedications or anything, you play a role in our faith. I know you pray for me. I know you guys have been in this journey with me. And in a lot of ways, this week has been an incredible blessing from people pouring out uh, affirmations and kindness to me. But the reality is, just as you're praying for me too, I'd also pray that you pray for my donor, right? This is not a family member of mine. This is someone that's God giving me and their family as a new family to my family. This is an individual now that will 
probably become closer than my family for my relationship. Why? Because I'm in a place in life where I need, and I can't. I'm in a position in life where no one in my family is O positive or O negative. But you know who was? People in the church. And you know what I found out is there was a contingency of people from people that are front row present to people in the second and third rows to fourth rows to people that were actually staged behind the individual who made it all the way through waiting. And there was this idea that no matter what happened, someone was going to keep pushing until someone broke through. That's called standing in the gap. And so my crisis of faith has been met and the mustard-like seed faith of other believers. And so I can tell you, I'm not asking you to think about this this morning as I conclude this message this morning. I'm asking you to pray about this right now. Help me help you with your unbelief. It's not an affirmation of disbelief when you feel less than in front of God. Let me confirm something to you. Your ability to say, God, why am I not living the life that I should be living? Is that a proof of my faith or a disproof of my faith? It's proof. People who don't have faith do not care that they're missing the mark. If you care that you're missing the mark, you are a believer and your faith is telling you you do things differently. Now you need to start doing them differently. Well, how am I going to do them differently? I don't know, but take your disbelief to the cross and at least start with that. Stop your narcissism about thinking that you've got it figured out and you're going good and you don't need to bother anybody else with your life. You're not bothering me. You're inviting me into your life. You're blessing me, right? Go on a missions trip. I guarantee you, if you've ever been on a missions trip, you will think one thing. When you leave wherever that mission is, you will think you're going to bless them because that is the mindset of an American, We're going to go help poor people. And one thing you will learn as soon as you arrive at your mission, how quickly they turn the tables and start blessing you. Because you can't outgive God. You can't outserve God. He wired you that way. And all of a sudden, when your wires connect and you're in that mission field and you're serving someone else, stuff comes alive in you that you didn't even know was dead. One of the testimonies you're going to hear this morning involves someone just standing at the table and passing out name tags. And it started to wake them to the church and the value of the church and who people were. You can't outserve God. You're being oppressed from seeing the truth. And that oppression is stealing your testimony. And your inability to share that testimony is causing you to actually hold back from the kingdom of God growing. And in some ways, we're repressing that and we're saying... I just don't think it's me. I guess I'm not the evangelism you know, kind of person. That's Pastor Jeff. He, he's got the, it's not me. It's you. I need you to understand that all of you play a role in evangelism. Go, make, baptize, and teach is not a commission to the pastor or to the elders. It is an, a worldwide call on all of you. As you walk your dog in the neighborhood, you represent God. As you bring your kids to youth group or go to school, you represent God. As you care for people in a memory care where memories are starting to fade, you represent the hope of God. And each one of you, where you're at and what you're doing, fixing a sink. Underneath that sink and how you act, you represent God and you're the hope of God in that home. All things work together for those who trust God and are in God. And we are in God, church. So let me pray and close this time.
And I will invite you then to consider what you might think about during communion. But this is the thought I would have for you for communion. Help me with my unbelief. I know you have it. I have it. But I also know what you can do with it. You can deposit it at the feet of someone who can do something absolutely amazing with it. Would you pray with me this morning as we close? Father God, as we head towards communion and an opportunity to think about who we are in Christ and what the power of communion can do for us, taking the bread, reminding ourselves that the strength that we have, everything that we have has been a gift, that we are a new creation in Christ, and that the old has gone away. And now we have the opportunity to, to hold fast and stand in the gap for people. And whether I've been a believer for a long time or a short time, Father, if you see fit to use me, and so be it. I pray for all those people that I feel are uh, going to be left behind in my dialysis clinic. For those people that needed prayer. For Mary, who needed me to hold her hands so she could get her shots. For all the nurses that left to go work at USC because it was such a glorious place to be. There's diocese clinics all over, Father. There's people all over that need good nurses who love them. But you know what the world needs more than a good nurse is a good Christian who loves them. Someone who's committed to standing in the gap. Someone who's committed to saying, I see the oppression and I see the possession, but I will hold fast in the name of Jesus. And I will not run and leave you behind. I may not know what I'm doing and I may not know what I'm getting into, but I know, brother or sister, if you're in trouble, call me. Lean on me. And I will stand in the gap with you. Father, I pray that your spirit this morning would move in anyone in here that brought their oppression with them. That willingly, Father, of their own volition has given up the rights to the freedoms that a believer has and instead succumb to anxiety or depression. Whatever that thing is this morning, Father, I pray that you would release them. I pray that the Spirit of God would call forth those things that are not of God. That if there is any kind of physical possession in this building on any type of situation, Father, that in the name of Jesus, that you would remove those spirits that are against us. That you would take those spirits and place them at the foot of the cross, Father. And in the name of Jesus, you do fit with them as you see fit. But Father, we submit our lives we submit our brokenness. We submit our unbelief even to you this morning. And pray, Father, pray for the great grace and mercy that comes from above, that you would use it for the glory and the kingdom of Jesus. Amen. As we get ready for communion, I would just ask that you come left and that you come right and we get the elements. And then I'm going to have Pastor Rod come up here and provide an opportunity for us to take that.
Amen. Such a meaningful time for us to gather and share in the Lord's Supper. And as you can see, Pastor Jeff is heading backstage with the baptismal candidates. They're going to conclude their communion time back there and just share, have a special time to share in the Lord's Supper as they get ready for the baptism and the testimonies. And so we're, we're looking forward to that and just hearing how the Lord speaks 
through each of these individuals and just to hear how God is working is wonderful. And I want to continue to lead us in uh, the Lord's Supper here as a church family. And I'll just begin by reading them from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And this is what it says in verse 23. It says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so that's what we do. We gather as believers in his name and we proclaim his death. His death was intentional. His death was of the Lord. He died on the cross for our sins. He was buried, but on the third day he rose again. And every time we gather and we take the bread representing his body, the cup representing his blood, we're proclaiming to everyone that we believe that the death of Jesus was for us, for a purpose, to pay for the price of sin. And so it's a very meaningful time. It's also a reminder to all of us that Jesus is with us. And Pastor Jeff just, just challenged us and taught on that in such a powerful way. We're never alone. Jesus is with us. By his spirit, he fills us. And so this is sort of a reminder of that as we partake of the, the body, the, the bread, and the cup, and, and it fills us. We're reminded the presence of Christ through his spirit is with us. And so now let's partake together of the bread and the cup. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this very meaningful time of communion. Thank you for the gift that it represents. Thank you for the love of Jesus. Lord, I pray now that you would continue to be glorified as each of these individuals follow in obedience, they're baptized, they share a testimony. We thank you, Lord, for their lives. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you how you loved us enough to save us and that we'll be with you forever. We give you all the glory and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.
Good morning, church. The water's cooled down quite a bit. I'm going to be honest with you, Byron. The antique heater failed these 500 gallons. Currently, I think the bottom 10 gallons are warm. The top 490 gallons, my brother, are Arctic. This only makes us more awake. Church, this is my friend, John Garner. John helps with the uh, greeting outside. He was the one I was telling you about that uh, a lot happened for him a couple weeks ago, a couple months ago, when he made that adjustment. Uh, I'm going to let John share his testimony with you and let you know that this is the beginning of what's going to be a very blessed morning, but it's not over. So if you could, those of you, my prayer warriors who know who you are, this would also be a really great time if you could just commit it in prayer. The battle's still raging, even as we speak right now for this uh, for this final situation. So pray, pray. John, if you could share, that would be fabulous. Right here. In addition to... Yeah, you're good. Just <laughs> you're Tell them about okay. what our situation is. Well, um, I... Okay, I'll, Bible study on Wednesday night. Um, everybody went around and talked about their needs and triumphs. And so somebody brought up uh, baptism. And uh, so I, I raised my hand. I go, I want to do that. And uh, uh, Kilby, thank you, Kilby. Uh, he was on top of it. And the next thing I know, the next morning, I'm having uh, pancake breakfast with this great man here. And uh, we were there for two hours. He went through everything for the that was required for baptism. And uh, I didn't realize at the time, but my salvation was not complete. He prayed for me and we got that taken care of too. Um, so I'm really excited about all this and, and uh, I, I, what a wonderful church family this is. And, uh, can you tell them about the miracle when you were involved with drinking all those years? Oh, just really quick, I think that would be an encouragement to maybe someone who's suffering from that type of oppression. You said you were like a professional drinker, and something happened about nine years ago, and you just woke up, and God did something. You want to share really quick with them? Sure, I'd love to. Um, professional drinker is not the word for it. I was world class. Um, and uh, I drank almost daily for every day for like 40 years. And, uh, you know, my long-suffering wife, Ginny, who many of you know, had to put up with all this. And one day I went, uh, one time I went on my uh, golf slash drinking uh, excursion to the desert with my buddies. And the first night I drank enough that they all went golfing the next day. And I laid around in bed and I thought, something is wrong with, you know, with this. And I never thought I could quit drinking. Never thought. So anyway, we leave. Uh, I have my last drink in the morning. And within, even, even on the way home, I felt, I, I never thought I could quit drinking, but through the grace of God, I did. And with it, by the next day, I was over it. And that was nine years ago. Amen. 
I don't, I won't even have no duels or anything, and I, I don't, thank you, and I don't need it. I, I don't miss it at all, and uh, that's pretty much it. It's been a huge blessing for me to, to not have to carry that around. Amen. Well, we're all glad that that happened, but as always goes during the baptism class, I have this rare moment with people to ask them this question. What happens if Jesus walks through the door right now? And this is the last conversation we ever had. And he turns and walks in and says, that's it. I only have one question left. Why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? And I've been using that for 25 years in ministry. And it's really interesting to realize for someone like, there's a point where Jesus wants to know, what have you done with his name? And John said, well, I know that he's saved me. I know that he rescued me, but I don't know that I have that moment. And so that's why I said the pancake house will never be the same, man. We laid it down. We prayed like there was no tomorrow. That was fabulous. And I love that just to give somebody that moment to just say, hey, I know exactly when it happened now. And yeah, God rescued you from alcohol nine years ago and restored you back to your family and your friends, John. But yesterday in that pancake house or Thursday when it happened, you solidified. Your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And that's what's going to make this such an incredible privilege. So if you want to take a seat on my new plastic floating chair that's magically floating right here. <laughs> Sit down on that. Get down there deep. All right, you got it. Oh, yeah. Uh, all right, plug your nose with your left hand. Plug your nose with your left hand. Hold your wrist with your right. Okay. John Garner, on profession of your faith, my brother, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, it's my privilege to baptize you, born with Christ in death, buried to a new life in Him. Congratulations, my brother. Walk to Byron right there, and he'll be uh, waiting for you. All right, Vicky, right, come on up. Yes. Uh, my next, my next customer is coming into the. Uh, I think we warmed the pool there. I'm not sure how that happened, but maybe we moved the water around. Maybe we froze. Come on in too. Not that way, church. Come on. All right. This is my friend Vicky and her husband Jesus. Um, we we went on a ride about a year ago, thanks to a, an individual in the church, uh, a messianic sister of ours, who was able to catch an email. And I definitely don't want to take from them the testimony, but um, what you're about to hear is real. It's brutal. But it's proof that God's not only alive and well, but he's doing miracles in your presence. This family represents full-blown, miraculous salvation. And um, if they miss something, I'm going to have to come back and remind them because I've seen it all and been walking through it. And there's a lot of people in the church that have been walking with them. Kilby and Rachel have kind of been their nonstop walk. But uh, you want to give them a quick, as quick as possible because there's no reason to short it about what happened about a year ago. Um, I have a teenage son um, who met a girl at school and got mixed up with wrong beliefs. I guess I was in denial. I didn't know how bad things were, that evil and demons really did exist, witchcraft, Satanism, I don't know. I guess I didn't want to believe. I didn't know how bad things were. Um, at the time, when he was being transported to a hospital, he called me 
15 minutes before, and he said, uh, no doctor can help me. You need to find a priest that can do exorcism. I called. I was raised a Catholic. I called the church where I attended since 1995, and I went in person, got no help. I called other Catholic churches and got nowhere. I was so desperate to find help for my kid because I really, he wasn't really telling me a whole lot. He didn't want to tell me he was scared. Um, I emailed, I called, I text messaged anybody and every, anybody that would help me. I was so desperate. Um, and I got a call uh, from Laura from the Harbor Mesa Lions Club and she contacted Pastor Jeff, and then we're on the phone with Pastor Jeff, and I told him the situation, and when he, I told him my son's name, he already knew my son from the youth group. Um, so I was glad that they knew each other already. And um, let me tell you, he has never left our side. He was the only one there visiting my kid every day, even like right before visitation. He never let go. Uh, he was at our house. Um, I don't know how else to explain, but he just never left us alone. And I honestly thought that's the only person I had to hold on to. Everybody else around, friends, family, everybody's busy, and I understand. But sometimes family isn't just your blood family. Family is people who care, who take time and stop what they're doing. And um, Pastor Jeff helped a lot, and then... Things were better, and we thought they were getting better, and I can do this on my own. I didn't want to bother people <laughs> anymore. Um, and when Nico got closer to God back in December, it was like a spiritual attack. Just nightmares, demons, you name it, you call it. An ambulance was on the way to the school. The They had got a flat tire. I mean, just different things happening. And so um, I'm glad my uh, son is doing better. Pastor Bill Kilby and Rachel uh, went to the last hospital he was at. He went to three different hospitals. No one can find out what's wrong, of course. Um, they scanned his brain. They did blood work, genetics, you name it, you call it. We've seen it. We've done it. No one, all they want to do is put him on meds just to sedate him, pretty much. And every day they were giving him shots. His both are, parts of his arms are bruised because of that. but. Like, two, like a week and a half or so, Pastor Bill with Kelby and Rachel went on a Wednesday and they prayed over Nico. When we left, he was happy, smiling, he was better. On Monday, they went again and they saw a little bit of what I would see before, but they prayed over him and from that day on, Nico stopped hitting his head against the wall and they were able to discharge him from the hospital. He's been home for like a week and a half. And Rachel has come to my house um, and been there for us. And honestly, I told Rachel, you know, I mentioned to a couple of friends, I'm like, I want to be more like Rachel. I look up to her. She knows a lot about the Bible. She has so much faith that her energy and everything, I mean, it's just really great because I couldn't even get out of bed, not even to fix a meal. I hit the hospital twice. Once at, my son was at Chalk. They wheeled me over to St. Joseph. And then like a week ago, Monday, 
Um, my husband couldn't go to work. He stayed with Nico, and an Uber took me to Hogue Hospital ER. So it has been a year and a half that it's been um, really, really bad. But also, on another note, my son, um, we have my name, uh, name, friend, Fern, her son and my son met each other like a couple years back. But two years ago, uh, Caleb invited my son, Nico, to the youth group here. Right. We used to come and drop them off and just leave. Um, we didn't come to the church, but he liked it, and he kept coming like Pastor Jeff so much that he's like, no, I want to keep going. I was like, I'm fine. But up until all this happened like a year ago, we started coming to the church, and I've been ready. Um, so if my son isn't ready, I perfectly understand, and um, I'm glad to see that my husband is now ready. And uh, we've hit rock bottom, and I understand now. Also, um, when I came home from the hospital a week ago Monday, for five to ten minutes, I was—I don't know what happened—but I felt more or less involuntary. Like my hands moved, my head. My husband pushed the Bible towards me. I pushed it away, and the only thing I can think of is like, "Help me! I feel weird. I cannot. I don't understand. Is this how my son feels? I'm going to wind up at a hospital." What he did right away, he got the prayer blanket that Rachel and some ladies did at the church for Nico. He put it over me and he laid me down. He started praying. He put my necklace back that has the cross. He started praying like there was no tomorrow. He wouldn't stop. And then somehow, some way, that whatever feeling was went away, called me, and it never came back. Amen. So Amen. that's my testimony. Um, I'm going to ask Jesus to chime in a couple words and just share one quick insight. The, the conversation happened at another church, that Catholic church. They were there trying to find comfort for the boy who's being tormented. Um, inside that building, uh, the Catholic church sanctuary, and evening time came and they're trying to get rest. They heard audible laughter in the building. And it so shook them that their faith was not able to hold fast. That's what then came home and triggered this sequence of emails to any and all people. And Laura is present today. Her friend is present. And the randomness that we would say of Fern bringing Caleb to the church is we all know Caleb. Caleb has been part of the youth group forever. It was Caleb who noticed a young man at school who was struggling. And when Caleb brought Nico to youth group that night, I was doing junior high at the time. I tried to witness to the boy, Nico, the entire time. I don't remember what the message was. I just remember Nico's oppression was so great, the whole group knew it. And I tried to lead him to the Lord the entirety of the night. He only came like two more times, and then we never saw him again until Laura answered the email and said, I know you don't know this family. I know this seems totally random, but they have no hope. They have nothing. And she said, the mom's name is Vicky, and the boy's name is Nico. And I said, not Nico this and she said yes and I said I know who he is the Lord had already used Fern and Caleb and used that other family and through the connection as I said you guys are all so connected you have no idea and many times I've shared with you over the last year help and pray this is who it is this is the real life manifestation of your prayers that this family would walk out of oppression into faith Hey, Zeus, do you want to quickly share what, uh, what happened with your faith, maybe just for the congregation? Oh, sí, de lo que usted dijo, de la risa que escuché, y, uh, y varios ataques que tuvimos, y, uh, y pues gracias a usted, gracias al Pastor Bill, que nos ha ayudado, Richo, Kirby. Yes. Nos han ayudado mucho, y muchas gracias. 
Sí. Para salir adelante con la familia. Sí. You can tell him what he said. I can tell him. Yeah, he's thanking uh, Kirby Rachel, the pastor, for helping the son in um, each and every step of the way. And when when he was at the church with Nico, it was on a Sunday before, like, there was no mass at the Catholic church. And he, Nico just said, take me to the church. And my husband's like, there's no mass. I said, no, you don't get it. Take him now. He needs to go now. So they went. And my husband said that when Nico was fast praying on his knees, they heard, there was no one in the church. They heard this laughter just echo through the whole church, and my husband got scared, and he never told me that until later on that evening. And he and I told him one day, uh, Nico was at catechism, and, and he said, I'm not. I go, let's go into whatever they're praying in there while Nico's in there. And he said, no, I will never go into the church. I said, why? He says, because of the laughter that I heard, and there was no one there. So, yeah, that's what happened. Rescue church rescue this is what real life ministry looks like this is what you have been a part of when you pray without ceasing and you don't know what you're praying about when we plead with you pray keep praying the battle is just beginning but now a husband and wife who stands in christ we will finish this church we will finish what's being started this morning and right now i'm going to get vicky under the water as quickly as possible wait but, uh, yes thanks to wendy for being on the phone with me all the time wendy lees and also uh, Romy, I don't know what I, we know Romy since Nico was at Paularino Elementary School. They have been great help. And above all, um, Caleb's grandma, too. Darlene, world famous Darlene. Thank you guys. All right, we'll take a seat right here. Victoria, on your, on your amazing and powerful testimony in Jesus Christ, it is my privilege to baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, buried with Christ in death, raised to a new life in heaven. powerful testimony in Jesus Christ it is my privilege to baptize you my brother in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit buried with Christ in death raised to a new life in him how we make him take him on the wall I am going to uh, change with them and then I'm going to come back out but I want to take you guys to a Quick prayer, like I said, Father God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for everything that you're saying and doing. Thank you for the privilege of these testimonies that were shared before you this morning. I pray, Father, that Lighthouse Community Church, Father, would continue to be a place where lives are changed, where the truth of Jesus Christ frees people from oppression and possession. And Father, I do pray powerfully right now for all those names that were mentioned and for the names that still remain. Maybe there's someone in there this morning that needs to join us in these waters. Maybe there's someone in there whose testimony has never been heard publicly. Father, I pray that you would use this time to encourage them to hold fast and that we all have situations of unbelief. Father, help us with our unbelief. May everything that we continue to say and do in this church bring honor and glory to and through your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you, church.
we're going to close with Great is Thy Faithfulness. It's one of Jeff's favorite hymns. I asked him so we could send him out with his favorite hymn today. So if you'd like to stand and sing this with me, that would be awesome. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest thy compassion may fail not. As thou hast forever.
lighthouse church. You can have a seat if you would, please. Can I have the other elders uh, come up front? You know, this has been quite a morning. We heard an absolutely stellar sermon from our pastor. You can't hear me? How's that? Okay. Quite a morning. We've heard an absolutely stellar sermon from our pastor. We were able to share in communion as a, as a church family. And then we celebrated a baptism with, with our church uh, members. And it's not done. When we're, we're going to now pray for our pastor before he goes into surgery on March 11th. And when we're done, for those of you that um, uh, want to be members of our church, we're going to have a new membership uh, class across the street in the family room right after this. Okay, so those of you that are going to be part of that, please go over there so we can uh, um, move, move on that. So if you would, you know, Pastor Jeff, if you would, why don't you step up here a little bit? I'm going to invite the church. If any of you want to come forward and just extend your hands to our pastor as we pray for him, please come forward. I'm going to start it off, and then I'm going to have each of the elders pray. And uh, Tom Phipps will, will close it as we anoint Pastor Jeff with oil. Lord God, I just lift up our pastor to you. I, I thank you for bringing him and Jen to our church. He, he has just been such an awesome, awesome pastor. And I lift him up now, Lord, as, as he's about to uh, undergo surgery, to, uh, to remove that diseased kidney and being replaced, Lord, with a good kidney. And I, and I just pray, Lord, that uh, everything goes smoothly. You guide the doctors. Um, the surgery is totally successful. He has a quick recovery, little pain, and he's back in no time. And, Lord, I also want to lift up that donut. Lord, I just thank you for, uh, for that individual stepping forward, that he was a perfect match. It was all done in your time. And, and I lift him up as well, Lord, that... Uh, uh, the surgery is, is quick, the recovery is even quicker, and it's pain-free. And I just thank you, Lord, uh, that you've blessed him, Pastor Jeff, and this donor, Lord, uh, that they are now going to be one as they share uh, a very integral body part. I just ask you to hear this prayer in your son's name. Amen. Lord, I, um, I thank you for, for being here with us uh, and for uh, hearing our prayers. And I especially thank you for our pastor, my friend, uh, Jeff. And I, I want to lift him up to you today, Lord, and just ask that uh, you be with him as he goes through this process, Lord. And uh, just keep him safe. Uh, give the doctors the wisdom they need to do the right thing in this surgery so that it is successful. I ask a special blessing on the person who donated this uh, kidney to Jeff and just ask that you be with him, be with his family and, uh, and bless them. Uh, and just uh, go with Jeff as he goes into surgery, Lord, and, and give him your peace, the peace that only comes from you. 
And I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, we give thanks to you, Lord, for this opportunity to see the miracle you're going to work in Jeff's life and the life of the donor. And we pray, Lord, that as this cloud of witnesses is praying in the bottom of our, our spirits, Lord, the top of our spirit, that you would just watch over every detail of what's going to happen. And that as it unfolds, Lord, you would surround Jeff through each step of the way with people just praying for him virtually 24 hours, Lord, as he goes through this, as well as the donor. And when, Lord, we just look with faith at what you're allowing us to have the privilege to do is to pray for Jeff, provide for all their needs, Lord, for all their financial needs, um, whatever it takes, and that the recovery would also be miraculous and that we would see his shiny face again. Thank you for the faith you've given Jeff. Since we've known him, Lord, he has believed. And Lord, you're showing us what belief can do. Thank you, Lord. Well, before I anoint him, he has not only been my pastor, but he's been my friend. If any of you know, my wife and I have gone through some really tough things in the last three or four years. And not only is he my pastor, but when they, I had to give up driving for a while, I guess was who was at my doorstep every Wednesday morning and every Sunday morning to bring me here because I come early. And any of you want to come upstairs and join us at 9 o'clock on Sunday morning, well, you can just get your fannies right up there. We'd love to have you, okay? So he has been my friend, not just my pastor. I know what a brother is all about because he's been my brother. So it was with great pleasure that I will anoint him. And I want to tell you, this man has been great. He came here as assistant pastor, and he said, quote, and unquote, I don't ever want to be number one. I just want to be here. And it goes to show you what kind of sense of humor Jesus has, okay? Because he's... He, <laughs> He is now ended up number one, and you know he's doing a real good job of it. So you all just love him a round of applause, okay? I know he didn't like that, but it's okay. Do you want to hold this mic? Because, and then I'll, through my rheumatoid fingers here. Lord, we just, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, we anoint, anoint this precious brother. He's in your hands, and at the same time that I anointed him, please anoint his brother that's giving him the kidney. I don't know where he's at, but anoint him at the same time and his family, because we know, Lord, that not only Jeff and, and Jen and Dallas and their whole family, but his family is going to go through this as well. The healing process for him is going to be the same as, as Jeff. So please, Father, help each one of us to remember to pray for his donor as well. Bless these precious men as you take over at this point and get them through this whole procedure. We love him, I love him, and we all love him. So we just say thank you, Jesus, for this precious man. In Jesus' name, amen. I, uh, thank you, church. Thank you all for showing up today. Thank you for making this last uh, year and a half not only manageable, but one of the most enjoyable years of our 30 years in ministry. Thank you all. May God bless you and use you mightily. And as you grow in your faith and I grow in my faith, 
Uh, may the world that we live in, starting right here in Costa Mesa, be a better place because one person cares and one person believes that our unbelief is still a beautiful thing to our Lord who loves us and keeps us and will keep driving us. So God bless you all. I'll see you in 30 to 45 days, Lord willing. But I shall return. I shall return. God bless you all. Have a wonderful week, and we'll see you. Sometimes you gotta stand on your shackles, brave in the back.